I think the silver lining of the pandemic is it's proven or shown that agents don't need offices. So it kind of helps what we're saying and preaching. And the bad thing, obviously there's been a lot of bad things about this year, but I think the good thing for the industry is it's compressed like a decade worth of innovation into the last 12 months. Yeah. And I personally think we're in like the pre-game warm-up of what's going to happen in the next five years. From asset class, like you love to talk about, like I love what you're doing with the class B industrial stuff. I think that's super undervalued. I think the legacy brokerage firms, I know people think I might sound crazy saying this, but I think some of the biggest brands today will be out of business in a decade. Yeah, A lot of them are just sitting there relying on their scale, you know, in a way to like defend their position. But yeah. They're not doing anything to, you know, think about their agents or long term. And the industry's changing under our feet right now faster than most people realize. I know you and I realize that, but um, I think in a few years, some people are going to look up and not have a job if they don't start thinking about it like right now. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast today. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering real estate, business, entrepreneurship, and investing. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at Fort Worth Chris on Twitter. Man, I'm excited. I have a great friend of mine, Sam Sawyer, with me today. Little known fact that only Sam and I can share. Uh, we met each other 15 years ago uh, when we were each, I was at TCU, he was at SMU, and I was uh, buying rentals and leasing college properties to students. And I wanted to know who the best guy was doing that at SMU. And it was Sam. And so we connected really early on. I think we were like freshmen or sophomores in college. And we've been friends ever since. So excited to have Sam sit down with me today. Sam, welcome to the show. Pumped to be here. Thanks for joining me. Let's just start with a bit about your story and kind of what led you to where you are today. Yeah. So like Chris was saying, I got my real estate license between freshman and sophomore year in Dallas, was stuck there doing summer school, and I'd always like to make money. So figured I would get my real estate license and started helping friends and people on the lacrosse team at SMU find apartments around campus. Then fast forward, kept doing that throughout college, graduated at the depths of the financial crisis when no one had a job. And uh, I figured this is going pretty well. So started working at Sotheby's, stayed there for four or five years after college, then left and started a brokerage firm with Jonathan Rosen and Christy Berry called The Collective, which was around for about a year. Then we were acquired by Compass, then spent about a year there, moved out to San Francisco, kind of switched gears, went into kind of the prop tech world, working at a company called Zero Down that was a great experience. And then now back in Texas and Austin, building a new brokerage firm. And all that time, we talked throughout that 15 years, it was inevitable that you were going to start something. You're just Definitely. trying to figure out what it was you were going to do. Yeah, I was always kind of knew I wanted to build a business and just over the last few years, kind of really had a good vision. It had worked in various parts of the industry and have a high conviction about what we're doing now. So really yeah. pumped to be back. That's awesome. 
a little bit about, so you started the collective with Jonathan, a good friend of ours, and then you all got bought by Compass. What was that kind of like? I mean, Compass is now more widely known, but I remember, aren't they SoftBank back? Yeah, definitely. So at the time when we left Sotheby's, they were starting to make some rumblings kind of nationwide. They were based in New York. They had bought a firm in Chicago. They had expanded into D.C. We were really excited about just building kind of a cool boutique brokerage in Dallas that was different than what everyone else was doing. But we were around for about a year, and they approached us about joining them, which was completely out of nowhere. But it was a cool opportunity to be their first, I guess we were their first couple of agents in Texas, which seems crazy now because there's thousands. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so the collective was only around for about 13 months. Yeah. I want to get into more about Compass. We'll do that later. But how long... In- from when they approached you to the time y'all made a decision and and what was like the early pitch of why Compass was going to be great? Yeah, so we had obviously heard about Compass before the acquisition happened and knew they were doing some cool things. We're super excited about what they were doing. And then when they had the, they approached us about joining them and kind of launching Texas with them, it seemed like kind of a no-brainer. We were worried if we didn't do it, they were coming to Texas anyways and we would be kind of the opposition. So yeah. We decided to join forces and spearhead the effort. To, how, how long did that take from Oh, from beginning out? to end. It was over uh, Christmas time. Oh, so really? I distinctly remember it was about three weeks beginning to end. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so before I went to visit family for Christmas, we were still at the collective. And January 10th, when we came back, everyone was like, did the collective go out of business? We're like, no, actually, we uh, have made a massive yeah. move. And we're more <laughs> excited than ever. Yeah. So. <laughs> It was about three weeks beginning to end. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. I remember being home and my family being like, why do you keep walking around in the backyard on the phone? I'm like, I'll I'll be back in a second. Yeah. It's going to be okay. <laughs> three weeks is great. Uh, I wish more transactions happened that quick. Yeah, exactly. So you're there and then zero down, the opportunity at zero down to go work for a kind of YC-backed uh, founders that had been successful before. What made you leave? And then let's just talk about what your experience was like there. What did you learn working for a prop tech company in Silicon Valley? Yeah, definitely. So that was also a quick transition. But I remember it was about a year after the Compass acquisition. I was sitting at Shake Shack in Dallas with our good friend, James Bashira. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, you really need to meet these guys that, you know, they were former Zenefits guys and they're building this new company called Zero Down. And I think you should really meet them in the total James casual way. Yeah. So next thing I know, I'm secretly flying out to San Francisco under the guise of going to the national championship game because they were playing at the 49er stadium. The game was there. (laughs) So I disappear from Dallas for a few days, go out to San Francisco, meet with Abhijit and Lux, the founders of Zero Down. They were super early stages. It was just three founders Lux had previously started a company called Zenefits with Parker Conrad. Then they had left to start this new company, and they were looking to hire a real estate operations person because they were all software people. And so I met with them, and about a week later, I decided to kind of pick up my entire life and (laughs) move to Silicon Valley. Came back to Dallas, told like Jonathan. I remember I was sitting with Jonathan Rosen. I'm like, hey, I've got this crazy thing to run by, but I think I'm moving to San Francisco. And do you, what? <laughs> but so about a month after that meeting, I moved out to San Francisco and 
was the first employee at Zero Down. That's awesome. Um, and at the time, yeah, we had just started Y Combinator. And then about two months later, we raised 25 to $30 million Series A. And What'd you learn at like going through YC in those early days? Like I'm sure it was drinking through a fire hose. Yeah, so I was in charge of kind of identifying. So the business model was kind of a, this new age rent-to-own model. So we were buying homes and then our customers would rent them back from us with kind of a payment plan to eventually buy the property from us. So my job was to kind of identify neighborhoods where we wanted to buy homes and then actually make the acquisitions. So yeah, from zero to however many homes they have now, I probably bought the first 60 or 70 homes um, and was running just the op side while everyone else was kind of on the software side. But did you learn about the software? Like just yeah, yeah. I mean, it was incredible to work with Abhijit and Lux and Harry and everyone on the team and just kind of opened my eyes to a whole new way of thinking about things. And honestly, kind of being away from the real estate brokerage world and what I what I had been used to doing every day really kind of gave me the idea of what I'm doing now. So it was cool to step back and still be in the real estate world. I was managing a part of the business that I understood really well, but got to work with these super awesome, smart guys from completely different backgrounds and skill sets. And we all are great friends still. So were you taking a lot of what you were doing out in the field and through operations and obviously bringing that back into the team and helping them develop kind of like the next little widget or tool for their software platform? Yeah, a lot of what we were working on was trying to streamline, you know, data points or ways of evaluating properties in a different way or, you know, looking at trends on certain neighborhoods and home price appreciation and I also got to learn a lot about just kind of like a real estate fund side because essentially, you know, that was what we were doing is building a portfolio of homes. Right. Um, but yeah, it was cool to kind of share my experience on the operation side and how it actually works to buy a property and then getting to work with these guys to, you know, streamline and make things more efficient on the back end. So you're there, you start kind of zeroing in on, no pun intended, zeroing in on <laughs> the idea for... Uh, Archetype, which is what you're doing now. Right. Okay, so you you moved out to Silicon Valley, San Francisco area. There, You were there about a year and a half. At what point was the, the green light go off in your head? It's like, I got to do this. Yeah, it was probably, it was really about this time last year. Okay. Um, started kind of thinking, I'd been out there about a year, and you see all these you know, every day you're hearing about new business models and got a lot of exposure just to startups and things that you really don't hear about outside of that area. I know a lot has changed since then in the world, but you're hearing about all these business models and kind of, you know, people have tried to crack the real estate industry that aren't real estate people and they think it's way easier than it is. And I know you and I laughed about this, but everyone thinks you can just digitize everything. And it's like, oh, real estate agents make too much money. And all these things. But the reality is it's like the business is way more complicated than people realize. Technology plays a huge role, but I don't think anyone's really combined the people side of things with technology in a smart way yet yep. in a brokerage setting Yep. and kind of just had a lot of thoughts around that and started working on this idea kind of this time last year. And then I left Zero Down fully in May. Okay. 
And then we launched this new business in August. Did you start with a co-founder or did you start as the only founder? And do you have a co-founder? Yeah. So I, I'm the only founder. Okay. Um, we had an early team. There's six people on the team now. Okay. But I'm the only founder, which I know some people think that that's a bad idea, but yeah. I, I think it allows you to move quickly as long as you have a great team behind you. Right. I think some people work better with a co-founder, but I have kind of a unique skill set from the tech side and the real estate side where I feel super confident making some decisions, but I also don't have a big ego. Yeah. So I'm fine admitting that I don't know a lot about a lot, yeah. but I know a lot about a few things. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I uh, zero in on what I know, and then I've hired some great people on our team now that help me out a lot and make me look cool. <laughs> <laughs> Did you uh, did you raise uh, venture capital or how'd you kind of raise the money to get things started? Yeah, so this summer we raised a small like pre-seed round from okay. a VC in LA, Mucker Capital, okay, and then a few angel investors. But we haven't raised any you know any money since then. Was it hard to raise or was it pretty easy to raise? It wasn't too difficult. There's a clear path to like profitability and revenue and things with what we're doing. So it wasn't some pie in the sky startup idea. Uh, it's really just like a new take on a business model that's been around for 50 years, but just kind of approaching it in a different way. So yeah. now we're super focused on hitting certain metrics and goals internally, and then we'll be raising some more money to expand, hopefully nationwide. All right. So let's dive into it. So what uh, what is Archetype? Like, what is your spin on on brokerage? Yeah. So the the quick, like, one-sentence description is just a full-service, cloud-based brokerage for residential real estate. Okay. And so when I say full-service, it's not like a discount brokerage firm. It's not like we're trying to get rid of real estate agents. We believe agents are kind of the future of the industry. But the way that their job is evolving and changing is rapidly changing now. Right. Where, you know, 15, 10, 15 years ago, agents' job was really to find the home, which seems crazy. It was like they were this, I've written an article about this on Medium, but they were like gatekeepers of information. Like if you wanted to buy a house, you had to get the best real estate agent in the neighborhood to know what's even for sale. Yep. Zillow comes online in 2006 and that goes out the window. Information's just like a commodity at that point. And it blows my mind still today that there's agents that think their value proposition is in data or homes being for sale, which right. I, makes me laugh. Yeah, <laughs> The agent's job now to me is to be like a consultant on all kinds of things from, you know, neighborhood nuances or inspections, appraisals, like things to look for when you're buying a house, like helping people think through the process or school districts or so much more than the uh, actual just property itself. Yep. So the way we're approaching this new brokerage is treating the agents like they're our customer. We're not really focusing on direct-to-consumer model at all, meaning we're not trying to reinvent home search. We're not trying to, like, get into iBind, which I think iBind's, we can talk about that later, but okay. I think that's a way undervalued piece of the market that will become bigger and bigger over time. But no one's really taken, like, a customer service approach to the agent where they're the customer. How can we save them money? How can we give them better support, training, and build actual software that they want and need? I think a lot of people have built software that they think agents want just because it sounds sexy or cool or 
there's these, you know, AI driven tools and, you know, things like that. But real estate agents are really simple. They want to be efficient. They want things that work. When you click on a button, they want it to work. And I think a lot of people have just skipped like 10 steps in innovation and they're trying to eliminate agents or cut fees or, you know, save consumers money, which we in the long run believe that if we can save the agents money, then the consumer, you know, is better off because as fees get compressed over the next decade, which I think will happen 100%, our agents will be in a position to take advantage of that. We don't make any money off the commission splits. So they just pay us a transaction fee. So we don't get involved in what they're charging you to sell your house. If they want to charge 2%, that's fine with us. We're not, that's not our business model, but just kind of a natural evolution in capitalism to me. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to just focus on the transaction fee and then building software that really just fills in the gaps for them on little things here and there that add up to a lot. Okay, so I, uh, I'm going to pretend that I'm, the agent that is coming to work for you, what software are you building that would make me want to come to your company? Yeah. So the pitch right now for our early agents, the main thing that we're focusing on, well, first of all, the financial savings is pretty unreal. Right. Then the tools are Because they're only paying a transaction fee, not splitting half their commission with the house. Right. So right now, if an agent sells a property, they just owe us $425 flat fee for the first 12 sales. No matter how big or small the property yeah, is. Yeah, no matter how big or small. We charge a one-time annual fee of like $495, which we just take out of the first transaction. That just kind of covers some E&O cost and things like administrative cost. Then after 12 transactions, the transaction fee drops to $95. So they kind of cap out at 12 So you can kind of calculate your entire year cost outlay to us. You know, if you you did 20 transactions last year, I don't know what that is off the top of my head, but it's not like this. Does it reset every year? Yeah. So every year it resets. So you have to kind of recap 12 every year. Yep. Then on the software side of things right now, we've partnered with a lot of firms that have built some unbelievable software. So our kind of view on the software side, which is contrarian, I guess, to people like Compass. If someone's already built something badass, we're not going to try to fake it and build the same thing and say that we built it internally. Yeah. So we're really we really focusing on building things that people haven't built. So like we're working right now on building this kind of property listing description generator tool, which sounds really simple. And it is. But like real estate agents hate <laughs> Coming up with, you know, a beautiful light filled home on the corner of Fourth and Main Street. (laughs) Usually real estate agents, when they get a new listing, they go look up the old listing, they copy and paste the description, and then they kind of tweak some words. And that's why every property description in America kind of reads the same. Yeah. So we want to build something that's kind of like a Mad Libs type question and answer thing where you could plug in. 10 questions about the house and it kind of spits out like a computer generated description. Yep. Just little things like that. We're taking some cues from like the auto industry where there's been some interesting software built, selling things online. We've built a transaction management software called Data Tape, which is just kind of like our internal like operating system for our agents that gives them a place to manage transactions, share property disclosures, contacts, 
we're not going to build out our own CRM because there's some unreal CRMs on the market. But as we keep going, something that I'm really passionate about building is this like vendor marketplace, which I think you've seen some info on. But basically a resource, like an internal agent resource for home affiliated vendors. So there's a huge hidden economy, I call it, of the post-sale referral business. So when an agent sells someone a house, for the next few years, that client's usually hitting you up for painter, handyman, you know, we need to redo our driveway. There's all of these like suggestions and things that people continue to need. Right now, people get on Yelp, Thumbtack, Nextdoor, all these kind of direct-to-consumer plays where there hasn't been a real estate brokerage company that's built like an interesting or thoughtful marketplace that's curated, vetted, and kind of exclusive, mm-hmm. kind of how I describe it, but a way to keep a resource just for the agents, like in this case, it would just be our agents, but where they could type in, you know, Fort Worth painter. And the list that pops up isn't something that the people paid to get on. It's a list that's kind of been generated internally by our team where they've vetted the, you know, painter who's known in the neighborhood. They've gotten reviews from our own agents. They've gotten reviews from customers that have worked for them. So the agent who sees that in the database feels super confident about sharing that with their client. Right. It's not like they were, you know, compensated to be in there. There's all these things where I think these big marketplaces have kind of lost trust, like Yelp especially. In the beginning, like people trusted them. They're like, oh, this is cool. They've aggregated all this data, but it's gotten to the point now where no one trusts it. So it's like we want to, I don't want to share too much about it because yeah. we're still figuring it out. But yeah. I think there's a huge opportunity to build kind of a moat in our business with tools and things that a lot of people aren't thinking about. Most big brokerage firms are focused on tacking on revenue streams like mortgage and title and that's super boring. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's a huge opportunity to build tools for the agents that is what we're focusing on. So I'm looking at your website right now. Yeah. And I see uh, the technology partners. And so there's some stuff that you're building internally. And then I'm looking at you have kind of two categories, communication and design, and then transaction and logistics. And I think what you said about we're not going to go all these people are building their niche product. Definitely. Why go compete with all them when you can partner with them? 100%. So your pitch to them is, hey, we have these agents. Uh, we want to sign a contract with you. And if I'm an agent, I log into my archetype kind of profile. And then all of these different kind of partnerships are available to me because I've paid my fee and, right. and everything. Yeah, exactly. So the way we run the company right now is Everything's in Slack and Notion. Yep. So we're not even trying to reinvent the wheel on that stuff. We, I'm a huge fan of the like no-code, low-code movement yep. that's happening in the tech world right now, which is something else we could talk about for hours. But yeah. I think so many real estate firms in the tech space try to build everything from scratch, which is a complete waste of investors' money and time and execution and so many things. But... We really want to, I mean, build the back of the company off Slack and Notion, which I think are two of the best tools in the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, so really right now, the entire company's in Slack. We have different channels set up for different things. We've made tons of integrations with CRMs and 
kind of our agents run their entire business starting in Slack. We have a whole kind of like back office resource we've built out in Notion. And then like going back to your question about the tools on our website, those are things that if you're an agent, we just provide. Right. So it's not like an added cost to get the tools. We're going out and making partnerships with these companies and then we provide them to our agents as part of the cost. In the future, going back to this marketplace idea, we want to have things that maybe we don't provide that could be niche products like a, you know, Matterport tour person in Fort Worth, for example. But that would be something that goes in the marketplace. Right. So the another way to think about the marketplace is like the Shopify app store. So it's like if you're a vendor on Shopify, you're selling cell phones or snowboards, like that was how the company started, yeah. the snowboard store. But anyone that has a Shopify store and go to the Shopify app store and they can find anything they need from checkout tools to marketing to whatever. So our archetype marketplace, the way I think about it is like a Shopify app store for real estate agents. Yeah. Where if it's something that we're not providing, you know, as part of being at the firm, yeah. they can get in the marketplace and literally anything. How do you go through the process of identifying what what partnerships you need to make and then vetting like who you're going to make that partnership with? Yeah, that's a great question. So we know there's kind of basic things that real estate agents want. And I kind of just think about it as, you know, when I was an agent for 10 years and things that I want. Yeah, but um, that's the best business. Yeah. <laughs> like the updater that tool on our website that was one that i discovered in uh san francisco so updater is probably one of the coolest partnerships we have but basically it's a service that when your client's moving from one house to the next they take care of setting up utilities you know moving your billing address usps forwarding anything that has to do with all the annoying stuff that goes along with moving. They coordinate movers. They'll kind of do anything that, mm -hmm. you know, people hate doing. That was one that was just kind of a personal one that I liked, but all of our agents seem to like so far. Yeah, Canva is just, I think, the best self-service marketing tool in the world. Massive, multi-billion dollar company. Yep. Why should we build our own? Seems really stupid. Deposit Link is a super cool startup company, but allows us to pay our agents electronically. So it's crazy in 2020 that a lot of brokerage firms in America still cut paper checks. Yeah. And that's like a competitive advantage we've heard yeah. <laughs> from some agents. They're like, you pay us same day? I'm like, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> it doesn't take two weeks to cut a check. Yeah. <laughs> but Deposit Link's a cool company that I just kind of discovered uh, actually through another founder friend. But we've loved, that's probably the coolest partnership we have. Yeah. Um, then everything else like DocuSign, Skyslope's a pretty boring document management tool that is the biggest in the industry and a lot of firms use. Yeah. And it works great. So if I sign up to be an agent, do you guys have some type of training or something that shows me how to use all this stuff? Yeah. yeah. So we have a agent operations team that's run by Matt Henning, who actually grew up with me in Memphis and then spent some time in the Air Force. Yep. So he's kind of an operations freak. Yeah, But he's in charge of kind of agent onboarding and training the agents. And when an agent joins, we basically have a, the whole company's remote. So we just do everything over Zoom or they can access a lot of training videos. We've recorded a lot of stuff on Loom, not Zoom, but Loom yeah. in our Notion, which kind of serves as like this educational area for agents. But 
it's part of being at the firm, like service is something really focusing on. So someone's always available to help if there's a problem. And if somebody doesn't know how to upload a document to Skyslope, like we'll just do it for them. Right. It's not like, hey, email support at, you know, kellerwilliams.com and hopefully someone gets back to you in a week. For sure. We're trying to really like take like a American Express platinum level experience to the agents, kind of how I think about it. So this is something that like I think a lot about because we're we do commercial real estate, but I always think about you have we have all these people, we have all these great people at Fort that are working on their jobs, but a lot of the the best data that you can get on the industry is what you find on the streets, what you find in conversations. And I've always I've always tried to think about how do you incentivize people to almost like when they're out in the market all day to come back in and like share that knowledge that they got. Definitely. How do you think about, you have all these agents that are learning stuff every day. You want to provide great service to agents, which is information and not just information you can download off Google, but like real data. Right. How do y'all think about sharing all this great information that you pick up on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So that's uh, something I think about all the time too. I, I don't know yet, yep. but something nobody it's yeah. like the hardest thing to crack. <laughs> something that we started doing like two months ago is Matt, agent operations, Matt, like every two weeks just holds like a office hours, like one hour session on Wednesdays. Yeah, I think it's Wednesday. But uh, basically any agent that has a question or an idea can kind of join this call and we just kind of see what they're hearing or thinking or getting feedback on our tools or you know, like, did you have a good experience with Deposit Link is one that's been really popular recently, but really trying to hone in on, you know, what do people think about the new yard signs or just kind of learning like things that we're doing behind the scenes and how it translates yep. kind of into the market. Yep. And then outside of that, early on, we started implemented like an NPS score system yep. from day one. And, you know, we've been great so far, but we've gotten some great feedback through the comment section on that anonymously that I probably would have never heard. Yep. Nothing negative yet, but I know as we get bigger, we'll get some negative feedback. But I think NPS scoring is something that most people listening to this, if you're in the real estate industry, probably have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. But you should learn about it and implement it into your company as quickly as humanly possible. Did you learn that out in Silicon Valley? I had been a fan of that before, but yeah. it just became more apparent being in a company where everyone's measuring things and, you know, talking about NPS score. I love measuring and studying and data yeah. and things like that. But now that I'm running the company, it helps a ton. And we yeah. do it with our staff too. Right. So on both sides. Yeah. It's kind of a two-sided NPS polling. Do, do you use a certain uh, software to gather those MPS scores? Is it like a survey-based deal? or So we use Delighted.com and just super simple. A lot of like Allbirds uses them. I mean, it's one of the biggest NPS software polling companies, but um, their method and question structure I like and how they think about it. Yep. Where it's really just, you know, how do you like being at Archetype or how do you like being at Fort Capital? And it's like a zero to 10. Yep. And that's kind of the NPS score. And then there's one follow-on question and it's, you know, you can kind of ask whatever you want, but do you have any like a, you know, feedback you'd like to share about why you scored whatever you scored? So you get some 
subjective and, you know, things through the polling that you wouldn't hear otherwise. How do you find new agents? Right now, a lot is just based on kind of my old network. We're live in Louisiana right now, too. So we have a broker down there that's similar to myself, where he's been in the industry for about 10 years and has done a great job recruiting agents there. But we recently hired a business development growth person from a company called Homelight in San Francisco. Mason, shout out. But we're starting to put in more of like a systematic sequencing and recruiting flow, thinking about it almost like enterprise software sales. Yep. So just lots of email outreach, phone calls. You know, we're, we're starting to test out marketing in various places, but we really want to take like a software sales mindset to the agent recruiting. And then when we have someone that's super interested, we can still do in-person meetings towards the end, but 95% of our recruiting is probably over the internet. Yeah. And then like the last mile delivery is someone meeting with them in person in yeah. Dallas or Austin or Shreveport right now. That's awesome. Are you looking to recruit folks that have already been an agent for a while or you would you recruit folks that it's their first time to ever enter the industry? No, no, that's a great question. So right now we're really focused on... We're not too focused right now because we're new, so I don't like to say we're super focused on one thing, but yeah, the place where we're really spending a lot of time is kind of agents that aren't brand new, but they're not top producers yet. So they're kind of in this mid-level where they know what they're doing, but usually these people have the crappiest commission splits at a normal firm. So if you've been around for a year or two, you might be on like a 70-30 commission split or something where you're kind of like, I know what I'm doing. I don't even really use the resources at the firm. Like I kind of operate autonomously. Why am I giving away 30%? Yep. Those people react really well to what we're doing. Top producer people, we haven't landed any yet. And honestly, I'm not really spending a lot of time on it because I used to be one of those people and I was not very nice to talk to new companies. Yeah. <laughs> and those people, I think, will take a couple years or they want to see our company get bigger before they'll consider moving over to us. Yeah. But something that we do want to build out as the company grows is this idea called Archetype Academy, which is like a, I kind of want to make it almost like a Y Combinator type training school where it's not just training to say we have training and like check some bullshit checkbox. Yeah. We want to make it where it's like new agents can apply. We only take, you know, 10 to 15 people a class. It's like super hands-on mentorship program, accountability, similar. I draw some ideas from like Lambda School and some of these other type things, but maybe they don't owe us transaction fees for a year. You know, like some incentives to really like focus on growing like the next generation of agents where it's like, hey, if you want to get into real estate, you should go work at Archetype. And, you know, maybe 15 years from now, a lot of these people have started their own companies, uh, yeah. but they started at our firm. Yeah. I think that's something that we really want to build out. And most firms today just lip service, say they have training and people don't learn anything. Yeah, yeah. But we also don't want to hire a brand new agent right now because we don't have a training program and just let them flap into the wind. So any new agents that join, we try to encourage them to join up or partner with an agent that's at the firm. Yeah. Even just to do open houses or showings and just kind of learn the flow. Yeah. But I would love to kind of spearhead Archetype Academy in the future. So 
And so if somebody's, uh, you know, listening that maybe hasn't been in the industry, but wants to get into the industry, what's some wisdom or advice that you give to people that uh, would say, this is why agents become great. This is you, you, like the, the, the thing I always tell people is like, you got to give yourself 12 to 18 months. Like if you're not willing to at least put in that work, you're, you're never really going to see the light. Um, Definitely. But what are some things that agents do really early on to become successful quicker than others? Yeah, that's a great question. One, I can tell you where I messed up. Yeah. <laughs> and I tell people this all the time. I loved your podcast you did recently about, you know, asset class, line of work, market. Yep. I think we could do a whole podcast about that at some point. But like, I think certain people when they're young and right out of college don't realize that how important it is to think about that. Yeah. And it's like getting into residential real estate would be one thing that's not as popular for people coming right out of college. But the thing that I wish that I had done early on was join a team. Um, I got my license. I was super confident, Sam, and, you know, thought I would figure it out on my own. Mm -hmm. And I did eventually, but I think it took like two and a half years longer than it should have. And I think being on a team, you just get all these opportunities. You see way more deals. You have an older, reliable person you can ask questions to. I mean, when you're a brand new agent, you literally don't even know how to schedule a showing. Like this sounds crazy, but you get your license and you're like, oh, Chris and his wife want to go look at a house. Okay. Uh, (laughs) See at three and like you have six hours to figure it out. I mean, I remember just submitting contracts and having them sent back to me from older agents, like completely redlined. I'm like, yeah, okay. Like or inspection reports, like not even knowing what to look at. There's just so many things to learn and I wish I'd been on a team. Yep. So that's why I'm bullish on the training and team idea myself. And so the archetype agents, they form, like you see at a lot of brokerages, their own kind of small teams. There's obviously the big team, which is everybody. Right. And then you encourage kind of that model of, you know, maybe find a partner or somebody that you can build your own team under. Right. Like right now we've had... I think now three or four like completely brand new agents that have joined and they've been kind of working under Randolph, who's our broker in Shreveport. Yeah. And he just kind of teams up with them and co-list properties. And we just tell them like, you go focus on networking and letting your friends know and your family that you're a real estate agent. And whenever one of them like bites on your marketing scheme, like come to us and we'll help you with the paperwork. Yeah. But really just wanting them to kind of focus on the sales side. That's kind of like the philosophy of archetype in general. Like we want our agents to focus on selling and that side of things and not as much on the back end boring stuff. Right. We want to take that off their plate as we get bigger. So when was your first, when, when did the first transaction happen? At archetype? Yeah. It was actually pretty early on because we had some agents switch over that had some properties under contract. Okay. But the first end-to-end happened like in October. Was that awesome? Yeah, it was awesome. That's great. But I looked up before I walked in here, I think as of today, we've done almost 50 transactions the That's last so few months. That's so great. Small dollar amount, but um, doesn't matter because we don't st- make money off the dollar amount. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to start somewhere. You picked a, a great year to uh, launch a new venture. <laughs> yeah, it couldn't have been better. It couldn't have been better. No. Um, and the irony, I mean, it's, it's been a tragic <laughs> deal, but residential real estate has been one of the, the highlights of what's going on. Uh, maybe my question is, how are you ending the year 
as opposed to maybe how you thought you'd in the year? Like, what has COVID done, maybe in a positive or negative? Like, what has this experience been like to launch in the middle of a pandemic? Right. So the one thing that a lot of people ask me, it's like, oh, you know, you kind of spun up this idea for this remote brokerage, like in the middle of this pandemic. And that's actually like completely opposite of why we set the company up this way. Pre-pandemic, real estate agents don't use offices. Uh, They work from their home. They go to coffee shops. They, you know, they're running around in the car all day. So that was kind of the idea behind this new business model was we can cut this massive office expense and put all the money back into tools and support and the whole company's remote. So it was kind of like this, in a weird way, I think, you know, solidified my thought on that yeah. because our company is fully remote. I didn't expect to have all the staff. Right now there's people in San Francisco, Dallas, Shreveport, and Austin. Actually, I'm the only one in Austin. I don't know how that happened. Yeah. But um, I think the silver lining of the pandemic is it's proven or shown that agents don't need offices. So it kind of helps what we're saying and preaching. And the bad thing Obviously, there's been a lot of bad things about this year, but I think the good thing for the industry is it's compressed like a decade worth of innovation into the last 12 months. Yeah. And I personally think we're in like the pregame warm up of what's going to happen in the next five years from asset class like you love to talk about. Like, I love what you're doing with the class B industrial stuff. I think that's super undervalued. I think the legacy brokerage firms, I know people think... I might sound crazy saying this, but I think some of the biggest brands today will be out of business in a decade. Yeah. Because a lot of them are just sitting there relying on their scale, you know, in a way to like defend their position, but they're not doing anything to, you know, think about their agents or long-term. And the industry's changing under our feet right now faster than most people realize. I know you and I realize that, but... um, I think in a few years, some people are going to look up and not have a job if they don't start thinking about it like right now. All right. Let's just talk a little bit about just kind of the the industry. And there's a few things that you've said along the way, but I want to go back to Compass. So Compass came out backed by SoftBank. They had a war chest. They got their way across the country pretty quickly. But like, what's the promise of Compass that is maybe not the greatest promise. I don't, I don't, I'm not. Yeah, no, 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 I know. Uh, So pre being at Compass, from the outside looking in, first of all, their leadership and the, everyone that works there is unreal. And they've done better than most companies, industry agnostic at hiring and growing a team than anyone, I think, in like a venture back company's done in a long time. Wow. I think they've hired people exceptionally well. Uh, the companies run really well. The technology side, I don't think has been fully built out as much as they as much as they even thought it would be at this time. I think agents don't use the tools as much as they like to say they do. Real estate agents, some of them just like using what they like to use, and companies try to build and force certain ways of doing things on their agents, and just doesn't work all the time. Yep. And then going further on that, I mean, Compass has raised the money on a tech multiple, which at the end of the day, it's a commission split brokerage firm. Yep. So they're not selling software. So I'm not sure what's going to happen with 
you know, a lot of people are saying they're going to IPO sometime soon. I think once their S1's filed and everyone can see what's going on, it might be a little bit different picture with, you know, how they make their money. Or a SPAC will buy them and it'll go up a thousand percent the next day. You just Maybe, but I just think fundamentally at the end of the day, it's a tech-enabled business and that's fine. And that's what Archetype is, but that's what I'm saying it is from the beginning. I'm not sitting here and trying to say it's a software business that, you know, is worth 100x what it's worth right now. So then my question is, because I had a feeling that would be the answer, is why would agents be more apt to using software that's provided at Archetype as opposed to Compass? Like, if the agents don't like dealing with it or they like doing things their own way, like, how are you positioning it to where your agents get the most for what you're offering them? So I think we take kind of just more of like an entrepreneurial stance on the whole thing where Agents don't have to use what we give them. We are providing things that we think are like best in class and we vet them and we think they're awesome. But if someone doesn't want to use Canva, like that's fine. The only thing they have to use is Skyslope because that's how we (laughs) stay compliant from like a legal perspective on files and things. But we kind of say like, hey, here's what you get when you come here. You can use it if you want. You don't have to. And if you find something better, like let us know because we'd like to give it to everyone else. So we're constantly scouting the market for new ideas or new tools that are coming up. And I think as we grow, this will allow us to stay light years ahead of people because every time something new comes on the market, we don't have to spin up some product team to launch something internally that's going to cost us $5 million. I think we can move way faster, provide a better service, and just execute on selling homes quicker than other people if we just have that mentality. So we partner where it makes sense and we build in the gaps is kind of how I like to say. But I love it. If you want to use something else, that's fine. I I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Building in the gaps. Because it's true. It's, I don't know. How are you thinking about growing? Again, it seems like the model would be pretty easy to kind of start spinning up in each city once you get the marketing agent recruitment down and like do you want to be all over the country? Do you want to get into 15 cities and sell? Like, how do you think about growth? Yeah, definitely. So we, we have to, we think about growth like state by state since, you know, each state has its own license. So right now we're focusing on certain cities in Texas and Louisiana. We're learning a lot about kind of smaller markets versus bigger markets. So is that something we're thinking about a lot right now? It's like, Shreveport, Louisiana, it's not a real estate market that's in the news every day, but agents, they are really receptive to what we're doing. Brand and things don't matter as much in small markets as they do in somewhere like Dallas. You know, in Dallas or Houston or just bigger markets, everyone wants to say, oh, my home's listed with the cool luxury brokerage firm in the market. So in mid or smaller level markets, we're learning that that doesn't matter as much. It's more about relationships and who the agent knows and, you know, kind of just more of a small, Fort Worth, probably a little bit like that too. But as we grow, we're really excited about launching in Florida is probably our next state and focusing on the Southeast, like Tennessee, I think Nashville would be a great market, Alabama, Arkansas, kind of like going after some overlooked areas that people like Compass and Open Door and a lot of these prop tech companies haven't gone into where we can be kind of the new 
kid on the block type idea, but, you know, have a great value proposition and I think grow quickly. We don't want to go into like Phoenix, Arizona, for example, where there's like 25 prop tech companies battling over the same battleground. For sure. I think there's like way easier places to launch. Like yeah. Louisville, Kentucky is somewhere we're looking at. Yep. Um, and are you, do you have that, like we're going to perfect Texas and Louisiana and once we get to a certain spot, now it's time to start going quick. Yeah. So we're really focusing on getting to like a few hundred agents in Texas and Louisiana and really dialing in like the operation side, the recruiting side, you know, being able to recruit someone that no one's ever met and no one even knows and getting like that consistently growing where yep. we know we have a real like sales flywheel. Yep. And then, yeah, then I think we would love to raise some money and launch, you know, 10 or 15 states at once type idea. Do y'all partner at all? Or how are you thinking about, obviously, somebody finds a house, the the next big kind of thing and checking that box is getting a lender to Definitely. provide a loan. So is that would that be part of the marketplace? Or are y'all partnering with a mortgage company or a loan originator to provide right. better loans? So that would 100% go into this marketplace idea. As a company, I never want to own a mortgage company yeah. or a title company. I really just want to focus on the brokerage side. Yep. But marketplace is where that would go. So yep. that's kind of where all these ideas live. It's like, if there's a great mortgage person, they should be in our marketplace and all of our agents should know about it and be able to review them and kind of learn about them in our internal marketplace. But anything that traditional real estate brokerage firms do right now, we don't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> like when they're like, oh, we have a partnership with such and such lender in this title company. I'm like, that's just a way to say you're boosting your revenue because your commission split brokerage model is failing. Right. That's what I think when I see that. Like, oh, we have a partnership with this mortgage company. That's a balance sheet decision. That's not a customer-driven decision. And is the and is that partnership with that mortgage company usually getting providing some type of uh, referral fee to the the brokerage that that brings them the so lead? So that there's some laws around that, but okay. a lot of times brokerage firms will also own mortgage companies or title companies. So yep. you know they have an incentive to send them business, but. I mean, you see articles every day, so-and-so partners with such-and-such -such title company. I'm like, that to me is just telling me they're going out of business. Yeah. And because they're trying to tack on a new revenue stream that is completely not their core focus. Right. And it just, you know, delays the inevitable of them failing to innovate is how I think about it. So you are hyper-focused on creating the best experience possible for the agents, which you believe if that is achieved, the home buying process will be great for customers and everything else. 100%. And you've been doing it for 15 years. We've talked a little bit about Marketplace. We've talked about the Academy. I, I, this question is just more um, related to just that kind of startup culture is like, I'm starting to become more fascinated with kind of this product mindset. Like you gotta, you can't go do 50 things at once, which for sure you have beaten the drum on here, which has been great to hear about staying focused on one thing. But then you have these ideas, like how do you think about incorporating those things? Is that just a product roadmap? And at certain scales, you start working on those? Like, how do you not get distracted? Because this is a world where it's easy to start going down lots of No, paths. 100%. I mean, that's a hard question to answer. I think a lot of that goes back to just me being 
involved in the industry since I, since I was 19 years old. And even before starting companies and working in all these companies, I used to always just try to find cool tools or software research tools or things that I could just use for my own business. And I think I've learned kind of like things that agents want. And we don't want to get distracted and go down these crazy, anything that's like super crazy or super futuristic thinking, we're trying to just shelf for now. We're trying to really focus on simple, does it make the agent happier? Does it give them more time? Does it help them make more money? Yep. And there's a lot, so much that can be done in that space that we don't have to go like crazy idea route yet. And I think a lot of people have just overlooked like 10 steps the last few years and they're going direct, like cut out the real estate agent. Yep. Like what, how did we get from real estate agents make 6% to companies like Purple Bricks, which is this flat fee company that I think went bankrupt recently out of London. It's like, you don't go from 6% fee to no real estate agent. Right. Like to me. Yeah. I think there's no one's innovated on the broker to agent relationship, which is like what we're focused on. And we believe that if we make that a 10 star experience, then the consumers will benefit 20x more than any other firm kind of focusing on that. We never want to build our own search engine. I mean, everyone's like, are you going to build search? It's like, that's not interesting. If we had a cool idea, maybe, but the agents should have like the best tools in their pocket to serve their clients the best way possible. And I think we'll build a huge company if we just stay focused on that. Just keying into the industry as a whole, what are some trends even over 15 years? Are are people buying later? Are they buying? Is it they'd rather buy something small and more efficient than something large? And like, what are just some of the kind of trends that you think about just going on in the market? Obviously, it's hot. Real, residential real estate's been just on fire for, for the last decade, but even through COVID. Definitely. But just like, what are some maybe demographic trends that you're like keying in on that are interesting? Yeah, I think over the last 15 years, things have changed to where people are buying homes later, which I think is a nationwide trend. I think a lot of people our age, five or 10 years ago, maybe were buying bigger houses earlier in life and then realizing that they're sacrificing location maybe to get a bigger house. Right. I think there's kind of a, currently I think there's a huge trend or just popularity, you know, kind of search that people are performing where they want to be in a cool location more than like having a cool house mm-hmm. where it's like you want to be walkable to things, close to restaurants, you know, bike paths, outdoor activities, more so than having your five bedroom house like out in the suburbs. I think first time home buyers are maybe buying townhomes and smaller like zero lot line homes and having like a four to five year outlook on that property and knowing they can buy the bigger property down the road. Yep. But like I'm sitting here saying all this stuff about owning homes and like I don't own a home right now mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've owned homes my entire life up until the last year and a half and I'm living in an Airbnb and I love doing that too. Yeah. Um, I definitely want to buy a house in Austin, but the inventory is zero. And I think there's also this short-term price inflation right now where everyone's, Austin's a cool place to be. Everyone's overbidding. California people think Texas is 40% the cost because they're coming from $4 million condos in Soma and San Francisco. 
But I think uh, pricing will kind of calm down in Texas towards the end of next year, but it'll still be hot. Besides affordability and maybe location, what are the like uh, top reasons somebody buys a house? Is it a great kitchen, a big closet? Like oh, oh like actual home. Okay, yeah. yeah. I think the most popular things you're seeing now are newer and kind of like tech forward homes where they have smart you know, home type yeah, stuff. smart home keyless locks, you know, cameras. People our generation are not very handy overall, and they kind of just want to move in. They love having large, open kitchen, living rooms, super nice bathrooms. People don't care about having big bedrooms like our parents' generation did as much. And outdoor spaces, like actual yards and patios, I think are super popular. I think rooftops on townhomes are a complete waste of your money. Really? Uh, (laughs) Just think no one ever uses them in yep. Texas. I think in California people use them, but um I think geographically things like that are different, but nationwide big kitchen living rooms and little outdoor space is probably pretty standard. All right. A couple more things that came up uh while we were just chatting about the business and then we'll we'll dig into a few personal fun questions. But you said <laughs> I buying. Yeah. What is I buying? iBind is like literally what is iBind? iBind, okay, was started, you know, in the last six or seven years where companies are buying homes directly from consumers. You know, you go to opendoor.com or Zillow's into iBind. Person that doesn't want to mess with having their home on the market can just sell it to an iBuyer. Got it. iBuyer will make you an offer. When they started, it was probably 10 to 15% discount to market, but now I think that's closer to like market. three to four percent, maybe market. And they'll make you an offer and close on the home in three days or three months. So it gives a super flexible selling experience to the consumer that, you know, is I think a great experience for a lot of people. And is it it's it's an offer? Obviously they have maybe a option period of seven to ten days to confirm and then right. it's closing in thirty days. Right. All yeah, cash or whatever. Yeah, all cash, however they finance it. But yeah. you don't have to put your home on the market, have 20 showings, open houses, all these people in your home. So it's just kind of like one-click home sale, which right now, they're less than 5% of the total market in the U.S. But I really believe like over the next decade, that'll be up to like 20, 25%. So if, if, uh, if Open Door Zillow buys a house, what are they doing after they buy it? They just rent it? Yeah, so Open Door and Zillow are just buying them and reselling them. Um, okay. So I think they're making a lot of money. They're tacking on a lot of other products like mortgages. Open Door has a brokerage now, so they're making some fees that way. Got it. Zillow is also using it as like a big lead generation for their other products. So, you know, if you go on Zillow and type in your address, they'll make you an offer. You might not sell it to them, but then it's like, hey, if you want to go traditional route, we're in, we'll introduce you to one of our agents. So I think iBind is becoming like a lead generation business as much as an actual like capital markets business. Yep. I think Open Door, which is going to start trading soon, will surprise some people at how much room they have to grow. They're only in 25 markets right now. Yeah. And a lot of people listening to this probably haven't heard of them if they're not in your market. But 
I think that company could be worth 50 times what it is today in like a decade. And are they worried about buying and selling at a profit or they're worrying about buying and selling and just making all the fees that they could make along the way? Right. Right now, it's like they're, it seems like they're, you know, wanting to buy for as close to market as they can so they can keep, you know, making purchases and getting consumers to sell to them. Then they make a lot of their money, I think, on just small fees. I mean, their dollars made per house, I mean, you can look it up, but I think it's only like a few thousand. Yeah. So it's definitely a scale volume business, yep. which, you know, network effects and things, their cost will get cheaper. And I don't know, I'm a huge Open Door fan, so maybe I'm biased, but. It seems like Open Door, you're a huge fan, maybe as an investor, but it seems like that is a, a direct competition with Archetype. Am I thinking about that wrong? No, so I definitely think it's a competitor to us in a way. I think there's ways that down the road we can find opportunities to work with iBuyer type companies. And the way I'm thinking about it is there's always going to be people that want real estate agents to help them with the home. Yeah, And, you know, and maybe in the future, your real estate agent suggests that you sell your house to open door. I mean, this happens right now. Well, they pay referrals to agents for doing that. Got it. Most firms are like, don't do that. You know, you're diminishing your value proposition, all this BS. Yeah. Um, like I, if an agent of ours asked that, I would be like, you should do what's ever best for the customer. And if you can still make money, then that's what you should do. Is the open house going to die with things like Matterport or just like virtual touring? Or is it still just as popular as it's ever been? I think... The open house experience will stay around, but I do think hopefully post COVID and things that Matterports and some of these things that have become kind of standard throughout this year stay because it's like you can do, you can see a lot more homes online and kind of chop your list from 50 to 20, maybe. I still think the five to one part of the search process, 100% in person. Yeah. I think this year people have become more flexible on that because they've have, you know, they had to, but right. I hope things like Matterport and 3D tours and, you know, all kinds of tech around that yep. stay, which I think they will. You just said I we're building our company on Slack and Notion, which I've heard kind of more and more. Did you know that from the beginning? And, and when you say you're kind of building your company on the back of Slack, that just means that every, that the, the agent kind of their whole world starts and ends in Slack, and then y'all are making the integrations and the the different connections happen on the back end. Yeah, definitely. So, like, we use Slack as kind of just like our internal messaging system. And, you know, that's literally, we don't even really email within the company. Right. So anything that's happening goes in Slack. And then, yeah, we have lots of integrations through Zapier and tools that we're using. Um And as it grows, I want to keep doing that. I never want to, like, start from scratch on that side of things. Yep. Like the no-code, low-code movement, I think there's so many tools and things that can be easily implemented with, like, Webflow and some of these companies doing cool stuff that why hire seven engineers and build something from scratch when you can hire two and build something that works better and faster? Yep. And it has a team working on that product. And like, that's like, we're not a software company at heart. So like, I don't feel bad saying that. Like we're a 
new age real estate brokerage business yep. that's finding cool ways to use technology. So I'm not going to sit here and lie that we're building everything from scratch because we're not. Yep. And I think it's an advantage to say that we're not yeah. in a way. Yep. For the last decade, it's been like build from scratch. You don't have any value. It's like, no, I think there's a great way to combine the two yep. and build a better company. Yep. And if we have a partner that sucks, then we'll just find a better one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, you can pop them in and out. Yeah. <laughs> no harm, no foul. See I mean, to later. build all the tools that you're now offering to agents right now, if you were to try and build those from scratch, one, just the time alone to do it, would you wouldn't even be launching for three or four more years. No. Uh, but you would have had to raise tens millions, of millions of dollars sure. to build all that. And just as a team, we would have lost focus on recruiting agents and customer service. And then if you're building tech internally and it doesn't work, agents don't want to join. If that's like your whole pitch, like right now we say, we've made partnerships now and we're building. We're not like saying, hey, we've built all this stuff already. Come check it out. Yeah, It's like, here's what we have and here's what's coming. And, you know, it's just going to keep getting better over time. I think you're going to, I mean, the low code, no code movement, the amount of innovation that's happened I think that is the way, te- uh, that's the way a lot of stuff gets built going forward. 100%. I think so many cool companies out just in general will be launched in the next few years because you and I could sit here this afternoon and neither one of us are programmers, but we could build some really crappy version of some idea that we had yeah. and show it to people Yeah, where you couldn't do that two years ago and you had to raise half a million dollars, which, you know, most people can't do. You're fully remote. Do you enjoy that? How do you build strong relationships with people that you never really see in person? Right. That, it's hard for me. And on the staff side, yeah, the way I think about the future is we definitely do want to have in-person offices. Um, in Dallas, we actually have an office right now where two people work out of. But I think so many good things happen in an office that I can't be replicated online. I personally can't stand Zoom. I would prefer to talk on the phone just because I like to walk around like a psycho. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I just think so many conversations in like the five minute in the hall conversation, especially in an early stage company, that's where some of the best ideas come from. Yep. So like we're looking at office space in Austin right now. And the way I would see it in the next few years, it's like maybe, you know, even if a lot of the staff and support team are remote, that's fine. But maybe once a quarter, you bring everyone to Austin. And then your higher-up executive team is in Austin. Yep. That's how I, now that we're in the middle of this, that's how I think about the future of our company. I couldn't, could not agree more. Yeah. The office is a important uh, a place. Don't have to be there five days a week, 24-7, but it is an important place. No, and even for our agents, like we want to, in cities where we go, make partnerships with WeWork or whoever the local like shared office space provider is. And that would just be a perk that's in this marketplace idea. So if you're an agent that wants an office, then here's a discount. Go get one. Love it. But we're not going to put up, you know, $3 million to build one out and no one goes in there. Do you have a morning routine? Definitely. What's your morning routine? I mean, it's pretty much the same every day. I usually wake up at like 6 or 6.30. I always set my coffee to go off night before. I get so excited going to sleep just knowing that I get to wake up and drink coffee. It's like this <laughs> weird thing that happens. But every morning from like 6.30 to 7.30, I usually make like a bulletproof coffee type concoction that's 
my own kind of recipe. Mm -hmm. And then I drink like athletic greens supplement every morning. I'm not, I don't get super hungry when I wake up, so I don't always eat a lot of breakfast, but spend like 6.30 to 8 reading like newsletters and various things I subscribe to online and writing down, I would say like 90% of my good thoughts and ideas come between like 6.30 and 8.30. And then I try to set my day up where lots of calls and meetings and things are before noon. And then afternoon, I try not to have anything on my calendar so I can kind of deal with whatever comes up. Love it. Yeah. What's the best advice you've ever received? Man, actually, I do have a good answer for that. Let's hear it. The best advice I've ever received was from a family friend of mine who was probably 60 when he told me this, and I was probably like 24. But he was like, you should always go to people 10 years older than you and ask them what they wish they knew when they were 10 years younger. Yep. So no matter what age they are, if someone's 70, like, what do you wish you knew when you were 60? Or yeah. if someone's 30, 20, and just constantly just learn what people wish they had known. Yeah. And so I always like to ask people, what do you wish you had known 10 years ago? That's um, awesome. I ask, I ask people that a lot, actually. I've never asked you that. <laughs> are you asking me? Yeah. What do you wish you had known 10 years ago? I mean, it, it, it's cliche. I think where I am right now uh, in the pandemic has, has helped us. I've I've spent my whole life hustling 24-7. We've lived in this kind of hustle culture for for sure. quite a while. I read a book this year, um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. My natural instincts are to be going all the time. Same. Uh, which means when you're wanting to go all the time, you also are doing that because you need to be seeing results all the time. And so I just think the 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 biggest thing I've learned over the last 10 years are overestimate what you can do in a year and underestimate what you can do in 10. That's uh, great. That's a Bill Gates quote, but it's so true. 100%. If, you're, if your time horizons for accomplishment are just really short, you'll be disappointed most of the time. Right. And you'll be blown away by the compounding of little things. 100%. So, is just be more patient. Um, you know, especially in the age that we're at now, I would have been 23, 10 years ago. So we live in this world where everybody wants everything. They want equity and everything by the time they're 25 is like, <laughs> that is going to set you back in your career quite a bit if you're the person with your hand out 24-7. 100%. And expecting it rather than kind of earning it. So That's awesome. Is there a book that comes to mind that you've really enjoyed? Oh, man. I love to read. Um I think one of the best books, not one I've read this year, but just one of my favorite books of all time is called Built to Sell. And it's this book by John Warlow. And it's basically just a book about company building and setting up processes and building a company to sell it, even if you have no intention of ever selling it. So it's all about just early stages, delegating, putting in systems, putting in processes, And he uses this example of this advertising agency where like classic advertising firm, they're willing to take on any project. And, you know, they're constantly like missing deadlines, having to hire all these people. It's like complete chaos at the company. Then over the course of the book, they figure out that like they should just focus on being really good at designing logos. So they become like the logo design firm. And I think that applies to so many companies. And it's something that has a big impact on me and which is why... I'm so focused on this agent to brokerage relationship with our company that yep. I don't want to like take, we could have more agents right now if we were like, you know, still figuring out our product and being distracted. But 
if you just focus, the returns you'll get five years from now will be 20 times greater than what you did if you try to serve every single customer that comes in the door. Yep, when you're compounding the, the rewards at the end, yeah. and it's a massive reward. And then another random one is this Elon Musk Audible book that I just finished listening to, which kind of shares his story from beginning to end. And oh, really? The guy's done a lot more than just Tesla and SpaceX. Oh, I know. Yeah. He's unbelievable. What's that one called? I'll have to look. It's It was probably published like four or five years ago. It's not new. Okay. But it talks a lot about like PayPal days and like his early business with Kimball and like literally how he risked his entire PayPal fortune to start Solar City, Tesla, and SpaceX. Yep. I mean, at one point he was borrowing money to pay his mortgage. And, you know, the guy was worth $200 million. That's unbelievable. Just inspiring. I'm a huge Elon fan. So. I am too. And yeah. he's in Austin now. Yeah, I know. Maybe you'll meet him. Maybe. I don't know if he's actually there. He'll sell him a house. Yeah. He doesn't own homes anymore. He doesn't own homes. Yeah. Damn it, Elon. He loves Airbnbs like me. <laughs> <laughs> How can people find you and Archetype? Yeah. Uh, Archetype.com. It's Archetype, like architect. Yep. And then my email is just sam at Archetype.com. And then even further than that, a plug for my email newsletter I started writing about two months ago, um, which we can put something in the show notes. But I started writing a weekly newsletter, just all things residential real estate, yep. from prop tech to things going on in the industry that I've really enjoyed doing. So we will put a uh, we'll put a link to that yeah. in, in the show notes. And then what's your Twitter handle? At Sam H Sawyer, S-A-W-Y-E-R. Sam, thank you so much for yeah, thank you. dropping some knowledge on the podcast with me today. This is awesome. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, everyone. It's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, or write a quick review. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.